Welcome to another edition of the Bible in the News. This week, we see the rising power of Rome as a clear sign that the return of Jesus Christ is near. This week was an awkward one for the Catholic Church. The U.S. Conference of Bishops voted overwhelmingly to deny communion to the nation's second Catholic president, Joe Biden, because of his support of abortion. And in further embarrassment, Mass graves were discovered in Canada at residential schools that were run by the church. This is what ABC News had to say about the decision by the U.S. Conference of Bishops. President Biden, only the second Catholic commander-in-chief in history and arguably the most religiously observant since Jimmy Carter, now at the center of a debate among Catholic bishops over his stance on abortion rights. Some are questioning whether the openly devout president should be allowed to receive Holy Communion. Here's ABC's White House correspondent, Mary Alice Parks. President Biden this weekend at his hometown parish, where he attends Mass nearly every week. Only the second Catholic president in the nation's history after John F. Kennedy, President Biden even making time for worship while in England during his first foreign trip. Both president and parishioner, his personal faith now the center of a very public and heated debate among American Catholic bishops. Last week, during a virtual meeting, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops voting three to one to take steps that could one day allow priests to deny public figures like President Biden the sacrament of communion over their support of abortion rights. We've never had a situation like this where the executive is a, a Catholic president who is opposed to, a, a, to the teaching of the church. The Vatican warning American bishops against the move. This was just an astounding um, decision when you think that the U.S. is the most powerful country in the world, and here is the church uh, making such pronouncements upon its uh, leader, Joe Biden. And so what we're seeing in the U.S. and in other world-leading nations as well is the Roman Catholic Church in an unprecedented position of power and influence. And this was... Um, spoken about in a interview on NPR News, and it was posted under the heading U.S. government sees wave of Catholic leaders back in January of this year. And this is what they had to say in that report. Joe Biden is not the only Catholic to hold the reins of power right now. Speaker Nancy Pelosi, six Supreme Court justices, some eight of Biden's cabinet picks, and nearly a third of the lawmakers on Capitol Hill. It is a sea change in the political representation of a faith that not so long ago was viewed with suspicion in the United States. Joining us to discuss this wave of Catholic representation in U.S. government is Steve Millies. He's a professor of theology at the Catholic Theological Union, and he joins us now from his home in Evergreen Park, Illinois. Welcome to the program. Thanks. It's great to be here. President Biden's inauguration events foregrounded the Catholic faith. Cardinal Wilton Gregory prayed at the remembrance for COVID-19 victims. Father Leo Donovan delivered the invocation during the actual inauguration. And there were masses, prayer services throughout the week. But what Catholic school of thought does President Biden represent? Because, of course, there are so many. Certainly a man of his age is someone who's formed very much by the Second Vatican Council. World War II 
brought Catholics into the mainstream. Certainly the Cold War brought Catholics into the mainstream. And then in the 1960s, we had this wonderful moment of Catholic confidence with the election of the first Catholic president, John Kennedy, the second Vatican Council, that told us that the church and the modern world can live together and can reinforce one another. Joe Biden's very much formed by those experiences as a man of his generation would be. It's an ecumenical outlook. It's an interreligious outlook. It's an outlook that sees the modern world as an opportunity rather than a problem. So, of course, we have Joe Biden, who is Catholic, Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House of Representatives, second in the presidential line of succession after VP Kamala Harris, Catholic, six of the nine Supreme Court justices, Catholic, if you include those who have attended Catholic schools, seven out of nine. And to just give you an idea of the significance of this, um, there have been a 115 justices in total um, since the beginning of history of the Supreme Court. And to date, there have been 15 of them that are Catholic. So to have now seven out of nine, um, six out of nine, seven out of nine, however you take it, that are Catholic or certainly heavily influenced by the, the Catholic Church, that is quite staggering. But what is really um, interesting in this is the influence that's brought out that the Second Vatican Council and its ecumenical outlook has shaped the um, views of Joe Biden. And what we see here, this is where my mind went straight to when I heard this, was Revelation chapter 16 where we see the influence of the French Revolution represented in the three unclean spirits like frogs, which come out of the mouth of the dragon, which we take to be Russia, out of the mouth of the beast of Europe, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, the um, Vatican, and the Roman Catholic Church. And so it continues on in verse 14, for they are spirits of demons, performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. And so we see here a global influence which is brought to bear. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches, Jesus says. And so this really is a sign as we see this unprecedented influence on the leader's of the most powerful nations of the world um, from the, the Catholic Church. So if we take a look at the top um, countries, whether you look at those that are ranked in the, in the top six in terms of global power or those which are part of the, the G7, we see this influence um, there predominantly. So first in the global power rank would be the United States. And of course, as we've just been discussing, Joe Biden is the, the president and he is Roman Catholic. Next in the second spot is Russia with Vladimir Putin as the leader. He is Greek Orthodox, which is the Eastern side of the church. 
There's the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Greek Orthodox in the East. And we look for them to um, come together prior to the return of Jesus Christ. So similar um, power there with Russia. Third, we have China, which of course is atheist. And fourth is Germany under Angela Merkel. She is Lutheran, but we're going to see in a, in a minute that um, that is about to change, actually. And then fifth, in terms of global power rank and also a G7 nation is the United Kingdom. So we have the U.S., Germany, and the United Kingdom, all members of G7. And Boris Johnson has just come out to um, join the Catholic Church. So we'll talk about that. Then in the sixth spot, also a G7 member is France. Emmanuel Macron was raised Catholic. Um, he has a very much a Catholic background and sympathizes with the Catholic Church. He describes himself as agnostic. And then in the um, next spot, if we think of the G7, is Canada. Justin Trudeau is Catholic. And next after them in the G7 would be Italy. Mario um, Draghi is Catholic. So when we look at that, as it currently stands, five of seven G7 countries are led by a Roman Catholic. Four of six of the most powerful countries are led by a Catholic or a Greek Orthodox. Well, let's start with um, Boris Johnson. So there was an article in The Guardian on June 12th under the heading, A Catholic Prime Minister and Number 10 is a Watershed Moment. And we could ask the question or state in this context that Protestantism is dead in Britain. Why do we say that? Well, this article in The Guardian um, will show why that is, why we say that. Who would have thought when he became Prime Minister in 2019, the article says, that he would stop the balancing act and instead become a standard bearer for Roman Catholicism as the first occupant of number 10 to practice the religion. But the issue that really merits attention is the significance of having a Catholic prime minister. In many ways, what is particularly noticeable is the lack of fuss about it. And that really is the, the key point, is the, the lack of fuss once, given that the Church of England is the established religion of the country and that it was created following the break with Rome under Henry VIII, a Catholic prime minister would have been unthinkable. Even as recently as 2007, Tony Blair delayed his conversion to Rome until he had left office due to concerns that it would play badly in Northern Ireland. Well, now Boris Johnson has converted to Catholicism, and nothing much has been said about it. Well, what about Germany? The next German leader may be Catholic. There was an article in the Irish Times with the heading Catholic Views Shape Politics of German CDU leader Laschet. Or Laschet. I'm not exactly I'm good at German, so... 
that was that was the article in the Irish Times with the subheading analysts will watch for religious influence in Chancellor Hopeful's election manifesto. So Germany is to elect a new chancellor on the 26th of September and the front runner by a good 8 points is Armin Laschet, leader of the Christian Democratic Union and um European People's Party in the European Parliament. And of course, um, Armin Laschet is a Roman Catholic. So if he is elected, six of seven G7 countries will be led by a Roman Catholic by the end of September. So the article says, like Joe Biden, Berlin watchers say Laschet practices a liberal progressive Catholicism. But similar to the U.S. leader, the 60-year-old German makes no secret that his faith informs his political decisions. So he's not shy about the impact that being a Catholic will have on his political decisions. It continues, Catholics have a drive to shape things on a global level. Embedded in the papacy, we are rarely nationalists, Laschet said last week livening up a dry Brussels panel discussion. So there we have it. What we are seeing here is a church reigning over the kings of the earth. And we have a description of this in the prophecy given in the book of Revelation and in chapter 17, where it describes a power which... Um, will rule over the kings of the earth. It says, starting at the beginning of the chapter, there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials or bowls and talked with me saying unto me, come hither, I will show to you the judgment of the great whore or the great harlot that sitteth upon many waters. And it tells us how that those waters are peoples and nations with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine or the teaching of her fornication. And so here we have a um, power that reigns over the kings of the earth, which puts forward um, teaching, which intoxicates the people, and has a, a global influence. And we have a description in verses 5 and 9, where it says how that this woman has a name on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And so um, there's, there's many connections in the Bible between Babylon and Rome. That's a, a whole other discussion that um, has been covered elsewhere. And we won't take the time to prove that again just now. But what is quite notable is in verse 9, where it says that this power is associated with seven mountains on which the woman sits. And of course, Rome is, is known for that. I mean, you can go there as a tourist and visit the seven hills in Rome. And in verse 18, it says that this woman represents this great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. 
And it's spoken about again in the next chapter, in Revelation chapter 18, verse 3, where we also see there that in addition to influencing the kings of the earth, also the merchants of the earth are said to have become rich through um, their association with her. And so this is the mother of this... um, of this power and of her harlot um, daughters, we could say. So it is a a mother church that we have described for us here. We have another description of this power in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where it's described as the man of sin. And we we don't have to look at the headlines too much, whether it's with the abuse from priests or um, what's been unearthed with these um, residential schools to see how fitting that description can be. Um, Not that we condemn all of the the people that the church has influence over, but certainly the the Vatican and, and the clergy. And so we read, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. And so there were those who were sending letters pretending to be from the apostles, saying that Christ had already come. And so he goes on to show how that that was not the case. Verse 3, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come, unless the falling away comes first. So there would be a falling away from the true gospel, from the true faith. And the man of sin is to be revealed, the son of perdition. And it tells us what this man of sin is like in verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And certainly The Pope is seen to fit this description as he um, puts himself on the level of God on earth to speak forward the um, doctrines of the church where he claims to be infallible. And so we then come to verse 7 and 8 where we see that this mystery of lawlessness was already at work at the time of the apostles and it continues until the coming of the Lord. And so, who is it, what church is it that claims to have a continuous line from the apostles down to the present day? This is the only religious power that makes that claim. And so, we have to say that um, there's a connection here, and certainly it fits with what we're seeing in in the present day. Well, one place where we see this power coming to bear is in Northern Ireland, which is pulled in two directions. On the one hand, we have the Republicans in the South who are traditionally Catholic and would like to see Northern Ireland become part of the Republic, which is an EU member state. And then on the other hand, we have the Unionists who are traditionally Protestant and are in favor of the North remaining part of the United Kingdom. While Northern Ireland's Democratic Unionist Party, which is the largest party, 
has formally endorsed Jeffrey Donaldson as its new leader this weekend. And in an article on ABC News, they spoke about this. They said that the DUP, which is rooted in the fundamentalist Free Presbyterian Church, opposed Northern Ireland's 1998 peace accord. It later became reconciled to it and has shared power with the Irish Republican Army linked Sinn Féin. The power-sharing relationship has often been strained, and the UK's departure from the EU last year has shaken the political balance in Northern Ireland. Donaldson said one of his key priorities would be to right the wrong of the Northern Ireland Protocol, a post-Brexit trading arrangement between the British government and the European Union. The Northern Ireland um, Unionist community has been angered by the Czechs, which they argue amount to a border in the Irish Sea that uh, weakens ties with the rest of the UK. The article continues, this protocol is going is doing enormous harm to our economy, to confidence, to political stability, and that's why I, Donaldson says, believe that we've got to find another way of doing things that doesn't do the harm the protocol is doing to Northern Ireland. And so this will continue to be a contentious issue, and we've seen how that um, it continues to be pushed predominantly by the Catholic G7 leaders like Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, calling for the UK to uphold the Belfast Good Friday Agreement. It was a, a topic at the recent G7 summit in um, Cornwall, and there's the call to uphold that agreement, um, joining the EU um, with the G7 joining the EU to put pressure on the UK to keep the protocol that governs the post-Brexit customs arrangements. In the past, the um, Irish armed conflict that took place was seen to be driven by Catholic influence. So um, definitely something to watch as we see these events um, become contentious once again. A book was written on the subject by a guy by the name of Avril Manhattan called Catholic Terror in Ireland. And this really covers this, this point um, from this perspective. So that's a, a book available on Amazon. There's used copies of it. They're available if you wanted to check that out. So this is something to watch in the coming months, and we can expect agitation will continue resulting in difficulty for Northern Ireland and putting pressure on London. The Pope and Catholic Europe will continue to use this thorny issue of Northern Ireland to perhaps punish Britain for Brexit and to try to weaken the UK. But what we see also out of this is that on the one hand, um, and the, the whole Brexit issue has highlighted this, where Britain has come apart from Europe. And of course, we see those two powers on opposite sides of um, prophecy of the conflict that will come over Israel and over Jerusalem in the end, where the UK and the US will be on the one side 
and Europe and Russia will be on the other side. So that is also something to um, watch and to look for. So this has been Daniel Billington with you this week as we continue to watch Bible in the News and events moving forward to the return of Jesus Christ back to this earth again. And we invite you to come back next week to hear John Billington talk about what the Bible has to say regarding the horrific um, discoveries in Canada at the Catholic-run residential schools. Thank you.